I do think that conservatives have been on the right side of this issue. Um, you have Teddy Roosevelt, you have Ronald Reagan, you have Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush. All of these presidents have championed conservative solutions to environmental challenges. And I think it makes sense that we would look at our constituents, look at what the Republican base compromises on. You have people who live in rural areas, you have farmers, you have ranchers, hunters, fishers, people who do outdoor recreation. We are a party of outdoors men and women, and our policy should reflect that. Welcome to the Green Hour a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, we're going to talk all about politics. (laughs) Not politics in the way you may think, we're going to highlight the conservative's approach to conservation. Joining us is the CEO of the American Conservation Coalition, Danielle Butcher-Franz. In this episode, we explore ACC's focus on bridging the gap between conservative values and environmental advocacy. We will unpack ACC's climate commitment with its six key ideas to better our planet. We also discuss the changing landscape of conservative environmentalism, the role of young voters, and how to get involved with ACC. In an increasingly polarized political landscape, it is imperative that we seek common ground on critical issues like climate change. Unfortunately, even on matters as urgent as climate change, polarization persists driven by extreme voices from both sides of the spectrum. Over the past half century, the environmental movement has predominantly aligned with left-of-center politics, while the right-of-center often disregarded it entirely. A striking illustration of this divide can be seen when comparing the last two presidential administrations. The Trump administration largely overlooked climate change, while the Biden administration has prioritized it as a central focus of its term. So, does this mean the conservatives don't care about climate change? Before you make your opinions, you need to know about a youth-led nonprofit organization that is giving a voice on climate to right-of-center politics. This organization is led by millennials that understand the divide that exists on climate change between both sides of the political spectrum. The organization advocates for clean energy solutions, they get their hands dirty in the community, and they bring young people together to have important dialogue. The American Conservation Coalition is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to mobilizing young people around environmental action through common sense, market-based, and limited government ideals. ACC was founded in June of 2017 by a group of millennials who saw an ideological gap in the environmental movement preventing necessary bipartisan action. Our guest on the Green Hour today is a co-founder of this organization. Danielle Butcher-Franz serves as CEO of the American Conservation Coalition, where she has played an instrumental role in the organization's vision and strategy. As a founding member of ACC, Danielle has dedicated her career to building bridges between traditional conservative values and environmental advocacy. Danielle's passion and expertise 
have earned her fellowships with the Independent Women's Forum and the Foundation for Economic Education. She is also a member of the American Enterprise Institute's Millennial Leadership Network and served on the British Conservation Alliance's advisory board for a three-year term. Danielle's leadership has been recognized by some of the most prestigious organizations in the country. She has been named a Forbes 30 Under 30, a Mavpack Future 40, and a Clean Energy News Network 40 Under 40 lister. As an international speaker and frequent guest on national radio and television, Danielle brings her dynamic perspective on culture, conservatism, and environmental policy to audiences around the world. Her writing has been featured in publications including Fox News, The Times, National Review, and Washington Examiner. Looking at Danielle now, you would assume she grew up with conservative values, and that's what led her into co-founding ACC. But as you hear her story, you will learn that wasn't the case at all. So I grew up in rural northern Minnesota. If your listeners have been there, they know it's a beautiful, beautiful area full of lush forests and pristine lakes. And so my love for the environment began at a very early age. I also grew up in a family that uh, was very political and very in the know regarding current events. And so spent a lot of time, um, you know, listening to NPR in the mornings on the way to school or debating current events and politics at the dinner table. Um, some of my earliest political memories involve accompanying my grandfather to like political parades to hand out stickers for candidates and things like that. Um, so both very familiar with politics, but also very familiar with the environment and had a love for the environment fostered at a really young age. Um, growing up, my family was more progressive. And when I reached my sort of angsty teenage years, I started to play devil's advocate at the dinner table and push back against some of the conversations we would have. Um, and the more I did that, the more I realized I actually agreed with what I was saying. And I actually identified more as conservative Republican. Um, so I started an anonymous Twitter account to start exploring these views and start, um, you know, just seeing what else was out there in terms of political viewpoints. And I picked up a following pretty quickly. Um, I reached about 12,000 followers just a couple months in. Um, and through that, I started to get these amazing opportunities to go to events like CPAC and do speaking events, internships, all sorts of um, different avenues to get plugged into the conservative political movement. Um, so I became an activist and, you know, did sort of the campaign, typical like door knocking, that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, at CPAC, I met two people who would forever change my life. Uh, the first was my husband, who I've been married to for almost a year now. And the second is Benji, ACC's founder. Um, and so that's how I got connected to uh, ACC, was on the founding team of that, but also politics more broadly. Yeah, I like, I like how you touch on the point of you grew up um, in, in one political um, stance and then you grew out of it. I think a lot of us, you know, you grow up. And if we're talking about religion, if we're talking about politics, if we're talking about a variety of things, you kind of grow up in one thing. And a lot of times you almost stay in it. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool that you that you identified that, you know, you had different you had a different thought and you had a different way of, of the world. Um, and it's really cool of, of what you've been able to accomplish. And I, and I read an article on you and I thought it was pretty cool that said that you were the real life Alex uh, Keaton. Because you, you transitioned from this very liberal stance and then came into the conservative movement, um, which is which is I thought it was really funny reading that. 
one thing my dad really impressed upon us kids as we were growing up is that we needed to think for ourselves and we need to question authority and always challenge the narratives that were told. Um, and unluckily for him, he just happened to be on the receiving end of that advice. Um, so we joke about it, but it's all love. Yeah. So you mentioned Benji. Um, and, and to be honest with you, Danielle, people ask me all the time, how did you, how did I get involved with ACC? I heard Ben, I kept hearing Benji's name come up in conversation um, when I was talking about sustainability. And I was like, who, who is this guy? And I started researching and I found ACC and I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. Um, and I was like, I want to get involved. Um, so I live in Atlanta. So I'm like, is there an Atlanta chapter? There, there wasn't at the time. And, and that's kind of how it all came. But for you, I, I really want to understand ACC's founding story yeah. and how it all came to be. Um, so could you start off by talking about, you know, what, what the idea was, how it all started and, and how it came to be? Yeah, well, it's a fun story. So as I mentioned, I met Benji at CPAC. And to be clear, ACC did not exist in any capacity at this point. Benji and I um, had become friends tweeting back and forth on social media and messaging. We were both young activists. And there was a group of other young activists who were about our age and involved in the conservative movement. Um, so we grew up together and did politics together. And when Benji was in college, um, he was in an environmental entrepreneur class, entrepreneurship class. And the idea came to him to start a movement like this. Um, I, I think some really important context here is that at this time, it, it was a group of young conservative activists led by Benji who cared very deeply about the conservative movement and wanted to see it grow and become more Big Ten. And what we would find on college campuses or throughout our activism is when we spoke to our peers, we would hear them say things like, I would be a Republican, except they deny climate change, or I'm conservative on everything except the environment. And we really started asking ourselves, you know, why is that? Why do people... Um, not like affiliate with what the Republican Party is offering on this on this issue, and the answer was pretty clear. This was around the time that President Donald Trump had called climate change a Chinese hoax. Um, Republicans really weren't talking about climate or the environment at all. When they were, it was denial of any problems, um, and we were very confused by that because Republicans historically have had a very long and proud environmental. Uh, record and and have really been champions of some of the reforms that we've seen environmentally. And so we decided to found ACC. Benji tweeted, hey, I have an idea. If anyone is interested, message me for more information. And this group of young conservatives got together to found what would later become ACC. It's interesting because people assume that if you're involved, for me, if you're involved in sustainability or in environmentalism, that you are liberal. Um, <laughs> I've seen that ever since I've started to come into the environmental movement. But it's cool because an organization like ACC is so different from, mm -hmm. from all the other organizations. And we should probably say, I know we keep saying ACC, but ACC stands for American Conservation Coalition, um, just so the listeners know. But yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like the left has really controlled, um, I guess you'd say, the narrative on sustainability, on the environment. Um, but it's really cool that ACC is taking the reins on the right and really giving a voice, um, not only to, not only to young people, but to conservatives in general around um, the environment. Could you tell us about, I mean, you talk about the founding of ACC, but what is what is ACC's overarching mission? Like what is what is ACC wanting to do in the community? What is ACC wanting to do um, in advocacy work? 
Yeah, ACC's mission is to build and mobilize the conservative environmental movement. I think a lot of people who care deeply for the environment, regardless of where they fall politically, are sick and tired of the mainstream environmental narrative that they've been fed, this idea that we only have 10 years to save the planet, this idea that we have to be preservationists and protectionists rather than conservationists. Um, I think what ACC really stands behind is this idea that conservative values lend themselves to conservation and to responsible stewardship of the planet. Um, And we can agree, whether we're left, right, or center, that there is a path forward and that conservative solutions oftentimes best address the environmental challenges that we face. And so we work cross-ideologically. We work with groups on the left and the right, um, but we do represent a conservative constituency and a return to conservative values on this issue. Um, We really like to champion the idea that you can have an approach to environmentalism that is good for both people and for the planet. And I love what ACC does. I mean, I remember at the ACC summit in Utah, um, I was talking to um, the DMV branch um, and about how they engage not only conservative groups in cleanups and hikes, but they also engage uh, leftist groups, which because at the end of the day, put politics aside, all we're trying to do is create a better future for for the future generations. Um, And if politics gets in the way of that, then we're all going to lose. And the ACC has here is this idea that as it stands, conservatives have not engaged on this issue in the way that they should. And because of that, one side of the aisle has dominated the environmental narrative. What we would like to do is bring conservatives back to the table so that we can work together on this issue. Yeah, it seems like one thing that that y'all have done that's really cool is this climate commitment um, Mm -hmm. where you have Let's see. I think it's six big ideas that you have to to, I guess, commit to the to the climate, commit to the environment and really to make a big change. Um, So the first big idea that y'all talk about is innovate. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know what innovation is. But really what y'all are what y'all are saying with this innovate is you're really talking about the importance of unleashing uh, American innovation to create clean and affordable um, technologies. One thing that I'll say the state of Georgia has done, which is really interesting. Governor Kemp has led this charge, which is really cool for, for me being in state, um, of bringing in all of these companies, these battery companies, these solar companies, these EV companies, and even nuclear. I mean, we just had a nuclear um, facility um, just just open up. But we're bringing in all of these um, environmental uh, manufacturers. And, you know, for the right, um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of time the right or historically the right has said, almost that they don't want to support uh, the environmental movement. Mm-hmm. But when you can make it in a way where it not only impacts the environment, but also the economy, as Governor Kemp is doing in Georgia, I think it's a win-win. And I think it's always going to be um, a win across the board. So what I would ask you is this big idea, number one, could you talk about you know, the importance of unleashing American innovation to create clean and affordable technologies? Yeah, well, I think innovation is number one for a reason. And I think it's because that's where we see the absolute most potential in the fight against climate change. I mean, just for some context here, the U.S. put a man on the moon and created the first cell phone. We can fight climate change. This is not a problem that is insurmountable. 
Um, with the traditional approach, we have seen what happens when we try to regulate our way out of climate change. We get higher prices. We get less energy security. We need to lead with innovation. We can fight climate change and assert American leadership on the world stage at the same time. Some examples would be you know, carbon capture technology. It's not just a theory anymore. National labs have created this technology and we need to commercialize it. Um, as you mentioned, advanced nuclear, it's smaller, it's less expensive, and reactors can power a whole town. I mean, there are some really amazing innovations happening in the climate space that we can champion. And the best part is the best is yet to come. We don't even know what the future will hold for innovation, but we have to allow entrepreneurs to do that. And really, that, that's kind of leading us into our next big idea, streamlining. If we can streamline the process as easy as possible, then that's going to open up more technologies. And so this big idea number two, streamline um, the need to really cut red tape and all the obstacles to build a clean energy future. You mentioned, we didn't say Plant Vogel, but Plant Vogel is what we're referencing in Georgia. A lot of people know that it was, there's a lot of cost overruns, time overruns, but let's just be honest here. A lot of it was due to, you know, this, this aspect that it, there was no streamline. You know, they're kept, they're kept having this, this red tape come up, these obstacles in the way, governmental interference. And that's what really led to this cost overruns and time overruns. So that's what we'll get into next is this big idea number two. But could you discuss, you know, the need to cut red tape and all of these obstacles um, to really build a clean uh, energy future? Yeah, Streamline is one of our really, really important ideas. And the reason for that is it doesn't sound as sexy to say you want to cut government regulation to fight climate change. But what we oftentimes find is that the government is standing in its own way when it comes to this. Um, you know, we'll make these pledges or set these goals that say we want to reduce emissions or we want to build cleaner faster. But we find that uh, regulation oftentimes gets in the way of that. The average energy permitting process now takes up to 4.5 years and adds $4.2 million in additional costs. Now, just in contrast, the Empire State Building was built in a year. So that we're intentionally um, kneecapping ourselves here and slowing ourselves down when we don't need to. If climate change is an urgent problem that we have to address, which we believe it is, then we need to find ways to streamline our permitting process so that we can build cleaner faster and sort of cut that red tape to unleash those green jobs. And I'll go back to Plant Vogel. Plant Vogel is a great example. And I and I hate I hate that Plant Vogel is uh, is the example to use because now people look at it as you know something that quote unquote might have been unsuccessful. But you know, to me, to you, probably as well, we know that it is successful because it's the first it's the first nuclear plant to open up in I think what thirty years mm-hmm. or something, maybe longer than that in the U.S. So cutting cutting red tape and and cutting cutting government interference is a really big thing when you're talking about clean energy um, and going into the next big idea, big idea number three is compete. And what we're, what we're talking about here is uh, the concept of empowering American workers to build and export the cleanest products globally. You know, I talked about some companies in Georgia, Q-Cells, um, I know Rivian, and I think Hyundai is another one in, in Georgia, EV manufacturer, um, have come into Georgia um, as a result of, of different policy that have passed. I think it was the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan uh, Infrastructure Law that really opened up um, Georgia as a state for, for this manufacturing. So before we get into this aspect of compete and this big idea, could you, could you talk about how policies like those, the IRA and Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, can really accelerate the clean energy movement? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important because the market can and does correct itself and it does lead on these things, but that sometimes requires an initial investment, which is really important. Um, so back to the big idea of competing, the United States should be leading on climate change. And frankly, we're not doing a good enough job right now. China is leading the world both in clean energy and in dirty energy technology development. There's no reason for us to be letting this happen. China emits more than the rest of the developed world combined. And, you know, it gets all this PR around, you know, different green initiatives and climate pledges. Um, but it is only loosely committed to letting its emissions peak by 2030. American energy is so much cleaner than that produced in China, Russia, elsewhere. Natural gas alone in the U.S. is 41% cleaner than in Russia. So we really need to be taking advantage of our positioning as a leader on the world stage and lead both on energy and on clean energy. Yeah, what, what's frustrating, and I'll, I'll touch on this very quickly, is you know I've had people talk to me that say, yeah, in America, we could do everything right. We could do everything the correct way um, as far as the environment goes. But you always have these these nations like China, um, like India that are emitting at such high levels. So how do you balance that? Like, how do you, how do, what's the trade-off? And it's really got to be, I know in sustainability, we use the word holistic um, a mm-hmm. lot. Holistic is a big word. But we really have to have a holistic view, not only in our country, but globally to fight this issue. And it's hard when, when you have nations that don't really get along. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, I mean, we're, we're positive and we hope in the future that that we can um, move forward and all be on the same line as far as um, the environment goes. Important to note there is, you know, carbon emissions don't care about the borders of our countries. Climate change is a global problem. And so even if we are reducing emissions here in the U.S., if we're, you know, decreasing our energy supply that demand doesn't just go away. It then becomes produced by countries that are doing it dirtier than us. And so we need to think about this holistically, as you're saying. Yeah. And um, I know a lot of companies in the U.S. um, and I know a lot of nations as well abide to the United Nations Sustainable Goals. Um, I think it's 16 different goals. um, And I off the top of my head, I don't know what all nations are, are in that pact. Uh, but that's definitely something that's a good start for us as a as a world to, to get in to get involved with. I know like climate pledge is another big thing. Um, but again, we have to get everyone on board and everyone rowing in the same boat to to really make change. Um, so, so next big idea we'll talk about is unlock. So really talking about the importance of freeing American resources um, to protect energy independence and build a clean energy future. When I when I read this, what I think of is um, rare earth mining. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and tell me tell me if I'm right there. But I had on uh, Emma Ernst um, earlier. She was she was one of the t- first episodes that I had to talk about um, critical earth mining and, and the problems that we have and how China is just dominating this field um, and how we just really need to open up our supply chains in the U.S. Um, so could you talk about you know this importance of really freeing up our resources in our country um, and why that's important. Yeah, so this one actually ties really nicely with the previous big idea. Compete and unlock really do go hand in hand. And the reason for that is that American energy is clean energy. I think oftentimes we see mainstream activists and environmentalists taking this sort of out of sight, out of mind approach, this idea that mining sounds dirty, so let's not do it here. Let's do it in other places. 
Um, and then we don't have to think about it and we can still have our green, clean energy and all will be well. And that's just not the case. We need certain rare earth minerals to produce the green technologies that we appreciate, whether that's EVs or solar panels. And we have vast resources here in the United States. We should be using those resources responsibly, of course. Environmental protections still matter, uh, but we need to be doing it in a way where we're doing it here at home and we're giving ourselves the advantage, um, not only for the sake of the environment and the sake of reducing emissions, but also because our labor standards are much better. So we could be doing this in other countries, but doing it here at home is better from a humanitarian standpoint and better from an energy and emission standpoint. So calling for more domestic energy production and mining is not incompatible with our climate goals. We have some of the highest environmental standards in the world, and we understand how to use our resources responsibly here in the U.S. It really comes full circle, um, and I didn't realize this until I'd, I'd spoken to Emma, because I I knew nothing about critical um, minerals before. But really, you know, I mentioned we won't talk policy, but I mentioned earlier the bipartisan infrastructure law. In that policy, they there, there's funding to build out charging stations across the U.S. Uh, for for EVs. And the reasoning for that is because we want to, you know, convert more people to electric vehicles um, so we can lessen emissions um, across the board. But then you ask yourself, okay, how are these things getting built? How are batteries getting built? And what people don't really understand is these rare earth minerals are what is going in and creating the EVs, the batteries. Mm -hmm. Um, And what people don't understand is China is controlling that market. uh, And we're, we're literally outsourcing that to them and importing all of this all of these minerals into the U.S. So it comes full circle because you need the minerals to create the electric vehicles, to to create the charging stations, to to create the whole thing across the board. So um, it's really a conversation that, I mean, honestly, if you don't if you don't understand what's going on geopolitically, um, you can kind of get blinded by it like I did my entire life until I got involved with this. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Everything is so interconnected. And I think one of the things we like to focus on at ACC is educating people beyond the taglines and beyond the catchphrases. Something like, you know, just stop oil sounds great, I guess, if you're really concerned about climate change, but that's just not the reality of the world that we live in. And the more people know about where their energy comes from and how it's produced, the more um, expediently and efficiently I think we can tackle the climate problem. Yeah, and and taking that and looking into the next big idea, big idea number five, which is conserve, talking about the need to take care of America's natural heritage. I think everyone can agree on this on this big idea because we really want to conserve um, what we have. Because when I when I describe sustainability to people um, in one sentence, I say, you know, sustainability is making conscious decisions today that'll create a better future for the next generation. So how do you do that? You do that through through conservation and making sure that, you know, our natural heritage is conserved. So could you explain really why this is important, this this aspect of conservation? Yeah, I love that. Well, first of all, conservation is important on its own. We have one of the most beautiful countries in the world, if not the most beautiful country in the world, and it's worth protecting. Um, But in addition to it being worth protecting for its own sake, there is a lot that we can do on the climate front through conservation. I mean, nature is just incredible, and you can actually use nature to fight climate change and to reduce emissions. 
Um, so things like natural climate solutions are really important for us to consider just by planting trees, we can fight climate change. Um, so I think that, that that's like a really important thing for people to know. Nature needs us to be good stewards of it, but it also can fight for itself and we can aid in that. Touching on that point about planting trees, it, it just made me think of, I was doing some research on, on Salesforce and their sustainability initiatives. One thing that, one, one initiative they have is the, I think it's called the One Billion Trees Planted Initiative. And Salesforce has said that by 2030, they're going to plant 100 million trees, which is, which is kind of mind boggling to think of. But that's just an example of a company that is planting and conserving land. Salesforce uses a lot of energy and what they do with their data um, and their tech, but mm-hmm. they're going out and planting trees, 100 million trees, which is, which is pretty phenomenal just to think about. Um, Congressman Bruce Westerman has an initiative called the Trillion Trees Initiative, and that's literally what it is, the idea to plant a trillion trees. He's the only forester in Congress, so this is an issue that's near and dear to him. Um, And I think a lot of people just don't realize that trees and other ecosystems naturally sequester carbon so they can help us reduce emissions. Danielle, the last big idea we'll talk about is protect. So really the importance of ensuring clean air, clean water, and resilient infrastructure for all Americans. Could you touch on, you know, really why this is important and how how we're doing this, how ACC is doing this and helping with this? Yeah, I think this is a really, really important piece of the puzzle here because I think this, of all of the pillars, is the one that is the most people focused. And it brings us back down to earth to remember, why are we fighting for this? Because people matter. We want to protect the people and the communities that we love. No one wants to have dirty air or polluted water. All Americans deserve access to clean air and clean water. We've cleaned up our environment before and we can do it again. Dangerous air pollution in the United States has decreased by nearly three quarters since the 70s. And that's because we decided to take action. So this last big idea is just the idea that we need to make our communities and our people central in this fight against climate change and understand that the government has a role in these solutions. But we also have to begin with the local knowledge and boots on the ground and put people first. So ACC's climate commitment, again, is innovate, streamline, compete, unlock, conserve, and protect. Those six big ideas will really take us to where we need to go. And it's it's really good vision, I would say. I mean, that's really touching on, on everything that we need to do. So I, I applaud you and the whole team for that, because that's that's something that we all need to be involved with. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. I, I think one thing for your listeners to know is just there is no silver bullet to climate change, right? There's no plan that we can enact that will save our climate overnight. Um, but this framework to approaching policy, I think, will get us there the fastest and the closest. And I, I'm just really excited about the six big ideas that we have. Yeah, so so pivoting off of the climate commitment and then talking about an issue that is happening right now um as as far as political as as far as politics goes recently the gop debate the first gop debate happened and acc was actually the sponsor for the after party the official sponsor for the after party Um, but acc also asked a question the first question from the audience um, and the question was on climate change and Mm -hmm. what the republican candidates how they were going to address climate change for all the young voters that were you know worried about it so Really, I just want to discuss this with you and really want to hear your thoughts, you know, on the Republican candidates, their reaction to this question. Well, first of all, I think it was a really important moment for our movement because it was the only audience question the entire debate. It came from a young conservative, an ACC activist 
asking about climate change. Like I said earlier in the programming, when we founded ACC, it was a pretty mainstream position to deny climate change. Nobody wanted to talk about it. It was so difficult for us to even get meetings with people. So to see just a few years later, it featured 23 minutes into the first Republican primary debate was huge. And I think that the audience response really speaks for itself. I was there in person at the debate. And when you heard Vivek call the climate change agenda a hoax, it was met with immediate booing by Republican primary voters. I think that's really important. And I think there was definitely much to be desired in some of the responses that we saw, but it planted that flag in the ground and it tells us where we need to go from here. I mean, that's obviously that that's what you want to hear um, when someone's denying it. You, you want the crowd to do that. And I know that as ACC, as the people that were there, you were happy to hear that. But I want to get into as as we go into this next presidential election in 2024, this is going to be a big topic. I know the Biden administration has really made the environmental movement a focal point of their administration. Mm-hmm. So I want to really understand really the shift that you've seen. I mean, even even from the beginning of ACC, the shift um, in Republican attitudes towards climate, energy and even environmental issues. I mean, what have you seen and what has the team seen um, as far as the Republican Party goes? I think we as a party and we as a movement are becoming more and more comfortable talking about this. And I would just really keep pushing for us to own this issue and to stop running from this issue. I think not only um, should we feel comfortable talking about it, but we should feel comfortable saying that our solutions are actually better than the solutions that the left proposes on this. And they can be bipartisan. There are solutions that everyone can come together on. So it's not about scoring a political win. It's about addressing a problem and getting getting it taken care of. When I started doing this work, talking about climate with conservatives was uncomfortable. It is a given now. You're going to talk about climate, energy, the environment, conservation. Um, According to a poll by one of our partners, Crest Forum, 81% of young Republicans think that climate change is real and they want solutions. I think that's an incredibly important number for us to keep in mind when we think about the future of the party and the direction that we're headed. If we want to remain politically relevant, we have to have an answer on climate change and on the environment. Um, It's pretty, I think, accepted that young people will not support candidates that don't care about this issue and that don't take their concerns seriously. When you look at the millennial and the Gen Z age groups, this is really a issue that's near and dear to our hearts uh, and really something that, that we're looking for, looking for candidates really to have solutions for. Um, so, yeah, you're exactly correct. I think that as as politics grows and as you know, we go into this, walk into this next election, you know, they're going to have to have solutions on the table. Um, whether that's whoever the candidate is, whoever gets elected um, to be the Republican candidate, they're going to have to have some solutions. So the next thing I want to get into, and I actually learned about this um, at the ACC Summit in in Salt Lake City, Utah. And after I learned about it, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, I wish I had known about this before. But I remember John John Curtis and and Benji were on stage. um, They were talking about this conservative climate caucus. And again, I knew nothing about this. Um, This is the first time I'd ever heard of this. Um, And I I remember sitting there and listening to this and, and thinking, Wow, this is so good. Like this is this is what's needed. And and someone like John Curtis that has, has pushed this um through Congress and, and through through the House of Representatives. It, it was just it was just amazing to hear. So for our listeners, can you describe what the Conservative Climate Caucus is and how this came to be with John Curtis? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, let me take a step back. I'll just explain what a caucus is because some people, um, you know, this is kind of foreign to them. So a caucus is an informal group of legislators who have agreed to share values or priorities on a certain topic. And there are all sorts of different caucuses. You can pretty much find a caucus for anything, whether that's hunting, fishing, agriculture, um, different sports, things like that. The Conservative Climate Caucus was founded in 2021 uh, around the idea of bringing members conservative members together around climate change and educating them on this and talking about, you know, what a conservative response looks like. We now have 80 members, 80 Republican members in the House of Representatives. I believe it's the third largest caucus in Congress now, which is just incredibly impressive. And the caucus focuses on the education of Republican members around climate change and then gets them more engaged. I think it's a really huge accomplishment that we have as a part of this movement that shows the party is willing to move forward and be more um, open-minded and engaged on this issue and attach climate change to the work that they're doing. So the last point I want to make here uh, when we're talking about, you know, the changing landscape of conservative environmentalism is I think and, and, I, and I don't want to use the word historically because people will correct me when I say uh, the conservative um, approach historically. They're always like, no, actually, Teddy Roosevelt was the first person who who really brought this about. So I, so I don't want to say historically, but really what I've seen is there's almost been a messaging problem um, within the Republican Party towards climate change. And maybe this is from the top down is what's what's caused this. But this is something that I that I want to hear your thoughts on and, and what you think, you know, should happen about this. Because when you have messaging, when you have misinformation from the top down from a party, it's really going to affect a whole a whole group of people. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the messaging, um, the messaging problem within the Republican Party regarding climate change? And how do you think that, you know, this can be solved? You might not say historically, but I'll say historically. I do think that conservatives have been on the right side of this issue. Um, you have Teddy Roosevelt, you have Ronald Reagan, you have Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush. All of these presidents have championed conservative solutions to environmental challenges. And I think it makes sense that we would look at our constituents, look at what the Republican base compromises on. You have people who live in rural areas, you have farmers, you have ranchers, hunters, fishers, people who do outdoor recreation. We are a party of outdoors men and women, and our policy should reflect that. And so it's actually, in my opinion, a more recent shift for us to um, walk away from this issue. And what we're trying to do is get back to our conservation roots as a movement and as a party. And I, I completely agree with you. I think a lot of it comes down to messaging from the top. We have struggled to talk about this and we've ceded ground to people who are much more extreme on this issue. And I think that both sides of the aisle are worse off because of it. I think regardless of whether you're conservative Republican or progressive Democrat, the loudest voices in the environmental movement are not who the majority of Americans agree with. And I think we need to have a more rational, sane approach that you can get behind regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum. Um, and we have to talk about it bullishly, loudly, emphatically to get to that point. People, people say the first environmentalists were the farmers. Um, and really, really, if we can, if we could give a voice to the farmers, then the whole, the whole conservative party would, would really grow for, for environmentalism. There, there has been a messaging problem as of late, but groups like ACC are working tirelessly to, to fix that. But, you know, the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, we, we talked about the GOP debate. 
You talked about how a young activist was the was the only one, a young ACC activist was the only one to ask a, a question from the crowd. So my question is around the role of young voters um, in the millennial generation, the Gen Z generation. A lot of people don't realize, uh, especially like people like my grandparents' age, they don't realize the impact that, that our age group is going to have on politics. Um, so I guess I just want to hear your thoughts on on what you think the significance is of young voters and their impact on politics right now. Yeah, I mean, it's an enormous impact, to be clear. Um, the thing that I think people sometimes miss from this conversation is they're young voters now. Demographics change. They won't always be young voters. They'll soon be a majority of the voting bloc, and their concerns and their priorities matter. People often like to use millennials to just refer, the term millennial to just refer to any sort of young person. But the fact of the matter is the oldest millennials right now are 42. These are not like college, high school students anymore. This is an issue that matters to millennials, matters to Gen Z, and they are becoming increasingly important in what the political landscape looks like. And they have made it quite clear that climate is a priority of theirs and that if the Republican Party wants to stay electorally relevant, whether you're conservative or not, whether you're Republican or not, if the party wants to survive, they have to evolve on this issue and they have to court those votes because if they don't, they're going to get left behind. One of my last companies that I worked with, I was really trying to push, um, create a, a company, a golf company that focused on sustainability. So, you know, building building products out of waste, alleviating and, and eliminating excess packaging, doing everything we could for, for the environment. And I remember talking to leadership about this. I mean, I was like, look, the numbers show that millennials, they're the people that are going to become the big buying group of the market. These are the people that are going to start buying houses. This is going to be the largest part of the buying group. Um, and I said, we need to focus on them. And the millennials, what do they care about? They care about climate change. They care about companies that that are trying to make differences as far as the environment goes. But yeah, you look at it across the board, business, politics, everything. This generation has such a big impact. I think a lot of people treat this like a foreign concept. And it's very common sense, in my opinion. People want to see their values reflected in the companies, in the politicians, in the institutions that they affiliate with. And so it's becoming increasingly important for those institutions to understand where their audience segments are coming from and to meet them where they're at. You know, last segment I want to get into, Danielle, is ACC specific. No more, no more politics. We'll, we'll throw politics out the window. Um, I really want to talk about, you know, getting getting down and dirty, getting our hands dirty um, with local action with ACC. For me, I know about ACC. I, I know that the expansive network of ACC branches that 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 you have. But for all the listeners out there that are like, oh, I love I love Danielle's message. I love ACC's message. You know, how can people get connected with ACC? Yeah, well, the beautiful thing about ACC involvement is that you can get your hands dirty, literally or figuratively. Um, so we have a free membership program. We have 20,000 plus members currently, and our goal is 100,000 by 2026. Um, you can become a member and you can get plugged into the environmental movement in all sorts of different ways. So you can become involved locally and you can do things like trash pickups and tree plantings. You can get involved from a more narrative perspective. So if, you know, hands-on action isn't really for you, you can, you know, pen an op-ed or a letter to the editor. You can make your voice heard through calls to action that go to your representatives in Congress. There are all sorts of different ways to get involved with ACC and we tailor really custom experiences for people 
people. Um, and it, it's all really tailored around your local region as well. So if you're involved with the branch press, and I'm sure you can talk about this, um, it's not, it, it's a national movement and it's people who have all come together with the same values, but it's also very localized and very personalized. And so I think that's a really important aspect of ACC membership. Um, I was able to join ACC Atlanta for your guys' official kickoff this summer. And it was just amazing to see the people there who had gathered because they care about the environment, they care about these values, and they care about their community. And I think that's a really important aspect. Um, you can get involved with like-minded people, build a community of peers and friends who you can do amazing, life-changing, and um, country-changing work with. And I can touch on ACC Atlanta a little bit and just just some of the feedback that we've you know received. I mean, even from the kickoff event that, that you attended, Danielle, um, I had I had people coming up to me afterwards that led other groups in Atlanta. And they were like, this is crazy that there's so many people here that don't come to the other events we go to. They said usually when we come to these events, first, they said it's, it's usually very male dominated. And they said it's always the same people that show up. And they said it was cool with with your event because it was like a it was like a, a breath of fresh air. It was all different people and people that were all that were all rowing in the same boat for for one specific topic. I mean, I thought that was really cool. Um, the other thing is, you know, when we've gotten out in the community, I think one of the um, one of the cleanups we did was in Marietta. I think it's called Ollie Creek, but we go and and literally one creek in Marietta. And we I think we had a group of like ten maybe. And we're just cleaning up this creek and we get, I think it was around a thousand pounds of trash out of this one creek, small creek again in Marietta, Georgia. And, and it's crazy. But what was cool about it was you had some people, some of my friends that had come that maybe they're not, they're not too involved uh, in the environmental movement. Um, but afterwards they were like, I didn't realize how much trash that are in our waterways. You know, even at my job now that I'm doing I'm telling people, I'm like, if if you wanna if you wanna sell sustainability to somebody, take your customer, take your client to a local watershed, to a local waterway, and just show them like what the human race is doing to water. And it will blow your mind. So well, ACC Atlanta has been has been a really, a really cool thing because it's it's brought people together that, you know, might not have known a lot about environmental initiatives. But now they do because of it. Yeah, I love that anecdote. And I think that's so true. Something I oftentimes say is if you care about climate change, if you care about the environment, um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that that group has made as a movement is making polar bears the face of environmentalism and the face of climate change. And the reason for that isn't because I don't care about polar bears, but it's because that is such a distant concern for most people. If you want people to take action and galvanize around an issue, start in their backyards, show them that the place they care about and love and have good memories in, show them that it needs protection and that they can help. And you're going to inspire so many more people to join your cause than talking about a far off distant problem that people aren't thinking about at the dinner table. People don't understand, like people, even in Marietta and Atlanta, they're, they're like, oh, we're doing a great job. You know, we're picking up trash. Everything's clean. Like we're doing a great job. And I'm like, actually not like, actually, let's let's get under the hood and let's see what's what's going on. I mean, we did another cleanup um, just in Buckhead, just literally in the street and one street and in, in, in the median of this one street that had trees and grass. And there was so much trash on that, too. And. You, you can almost I'll say you can almost put blinders on um, when you're in a community for so long and you can you can almost start to to not see the problems. But once you really get your hands dirty, 
it's like, wow, we, we have to make change. And again, that's why what, what's great about ACC is you get people out in the community and open up people's eyes to what's happening. And then it's like a trickle down effect because then people start talking about it. They bring in more and more people. Um, and then you really have a cool, you really have a cool commitment across a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds um, that are all, again, I, I keep saying rowing in the same boat, that are all rowing in the same boat towards one movement, which is the environmental movement. Yeah. And I think it's really cool because it's this idea that there's always more to do. And, you know, that doesn't mean we don't celebrate our wins. That doesn't mean we don't look at how far we've come. But it's this idea that it is hard work, but it's happy work and you get to build your community as you're doing it. And so it's something that really can bring people together. So, so I do have to ask you, I mean, we talked about branches. I mean, what, what's your favorite branch? I mean, what, what branch do you think is the best? Oh, Preston, you know I can't pick a side here. Uh, <laughs> I have to say we have some really, really incredible branches all around the country. Um, you know, your branch is an especially impressive one. I won't say it's my favorite, um, but, you know, I'm just continuously impressed by all of the work that our activists are doing in states like Florida, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, Ohio. I mean, we're just so lucky to have the best people in the movement plugged into ACC. So the final question I'll ask you on here, uh, Danielle, you're recently named new CEO of ACC. Really understand, you know, what you're planning to accomplish in this term as CEO. I mean, what's what's your vision? But I mean, what what else are you hoping to accomplish in your role as CEO? Yeah, I mean, it's a really, really exciting time to be a part of this organization. We are growing, we're maturing, we're taking the steps that we need to take to transition from this scrappy startup um, founded by a group of 20-somethings fresh out of college to a bona fide institution that's here to stay and that's here to make its voice heard. So our short-term goals, you know, we want to be a major player in pushing the conservative movement forward in 2024 and um, on climate change. I think that this is an issue that we can't ignore any longer as a party. And then we want to continue to empower our members on the ground and continue building that robust field operation and continue building that network of people who care so deeply about this cause. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question, Danielle. And I, I try to ask every um, guest that comes on this uh, this podcast this question. But sometimes time restraints don't allow for it. But it's a very basic question. Um, and I actually gave you my answer earlier to it. The question is, why is sustainability important? Everyone has different motivations for caring about the things that they care about. And I think that's actually a strength. I think that's a good thing because the more personal you can make these issues, I think the more likely people are to take up the mantle and take up the fight. Um, sustainability matters to me. Because I grew up in a community that I love and that I care about and that I want to see thrive. And I know that for that community to take care of me, I have to take care of it. And so that's my personal why for sustainability. And I think that others may have different answers. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's. An, I like to ask the question because most people come back to the answer of, I want to be involved in sustainability or I want to care about sustainability because... I want to I want to create a better future for whoever comes next mm -hmm. for you. You want to you, you want to create a better future for your community, for your family, for anyone that that, that comes next. Um, so it's really taking this selfless perspective and really, again, getting your hands dirty, you know, talking about the issues, doing whatever you can to really get people on the same page. But Danielle, I just want to I just want to thank you so much for coming on the Green Hour today. It's, it's been so so much fun talking about this, um, and thank you again for all the support you have with ACC Atlanta. Thank you, Preston. Keep up the good work. 